What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. The big lesson for today is this. Stop building your people strategy around lies and unrealistic expectations. That is a really important concept that we're going to tackle today. Our featured guest today, uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, his background. He's been with Onan Staffing since 2001. He's contributed to the organization's growth from a $10 million organization to roughly an $800 million organization. He holds direct oversight over business development and operations for 110 plus office staffing group. That organization has been recognized as one of the top staffing firms in the country. He's grown it organically. He's been involved in some mergers and acquisitions as well. His focus has been on building the infrastructure and teams to support that continued growth, including expanding into new markets, bringing on national accounts, opening niche staffing divisions. And as a result of all of that, uh, Onan has won uh, numerous awards uh, in terms of being one of the best staffing firms to work for, uh, has been recognized by the staffing industry analysts for the last three years as the best place to work has been cited in numerous business journals in local and national markets. That's a lot. I guess this is a long way of saying we can, you're a big deal. So Jim Weaver, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. I appreciate you having me. I have to restrain myself because I've spent quite a bit of time, not as much as you, but I've spent some time in the agency side as right. well. So I have to restrain myself from digging too deep into the inside baseball staffing conversation that I can get into. But yeah. before we move to the big topics that we're going to cover, and I'm really looking forward to digging in to stop lying to people as a big theme. It should be a no-brainer, but we'll right. tie it together in a second. What did I miss in the bio and the intro that you feel is important for the listeners to know and learn about you that's going to inform the context of the conversation that we're going to have? The thing that would add a little bit of color to that is I did not expect to get into staffing. and did not go to school to get into staffing. I was a music performance major. And I've just learned over the years, just getting a little better every day. And the, the message would be, if I could be part of growing something like this, pretty much anybody can. I like your point about focusing on growing better a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. If you can be a half a percent better or 1% better every single day over a lifetime, you're going to be pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson, especially when you look at the typical employee and you have all sorts of initiatives that you're trying to tackle. And sometimes it can be overwhelming because they're yes. so big. Your point about taking it, breaking it down into small incremental bits and pieces. What's I think the next like, what, thing? What's the next thing? The next thing. I, I want to throw some rapid fire stuff at you. When you think about your time at Onan, what's the accomplishment that you're most proud of? This is easy for me to answer. It's. We have built a team that is truly locked into our core purpose of creating opportunity and empowering people. 
And we were in the people business of staffing. So it's particularly important. And our people know, Onanites as we call them, they know when we put someone to work, we're going to treat them better than anybody else. And we're going to give the contingent worker, the entry-level contingent worker, teammates, we call them, access to life-changing benefits that nobody else in our industry will provide. And they also know on the other side with our client relationships, when we partner with a client, the tools, the resources, the, the innovation, the, the want to that we bring to the we make them better. So there's a sense of a moral mandate to grow the business because of how locked in we are on this purpose. I'm going to turn into a jaded staffing guy right now. I really like what you said. I think I've heard that there are similar things from a number mm -hmm. of other staffing companies and it's just window dressing. I think it's really valuable for the audience to, sh to learn and understand how you've actually made that real mm -hmm. at the ground level for employees, because anybody can say it. Give me some examples of how you've actually made that real from an operational perspective. The objective thing that I can give you, you have to walk into a branch to experience the, the love, but an objective measurement, it is our benefit plan and staffing companies will all say, oh, we have, oh yeah, we have benefits too. My question to them is what is your enrollment rate? Ours is over 70%. And these are entry level, largely workers that work at companies that make, move and process things. These are people that don't have access to to benefits typically. The emergency room is their doctor typically, and we're giving them access to that dental, vision, medical. When you have a guy who goes into the dentist for the first time in 20 years and gets work done, that is life-changing. When you have somebody that has access to $5 uh, co-pays on generic diabetes medicine, that is life-changing for the first time ever. I'd point to that as a clear objective. I, our, our retention rate went up, our average length of deployment, we call went up 20%, boom, immediately when we uh, rolled out the, the medical portion of what we're doing today. So I'm, I'm glad that you spelled that out because knowing what I know uh, from my time in staffing, I know that staffing benefits, yeah, a lot of companies will offer them. Uh, a lot of organizations will offer them. And just point of fact, I've worked for two SIA top 100 firms. So it's not like I've worked for Joe Corner staffing shop, but they're ridiculously expensive. Yes. And the point that you brought out about, hey, we've made it accessible to entry level workers where they can not only say they have benefits, but actually access it and they enroll in it. That's a really great point. And it's just one good example of how you build an integrated culture. You've been in the organization for a while and you've seen it grow. What's the next moonshot that you have on your radar in terms of what you want to get accomplished in the next 12 to 18 months? We have a, a BHAG that we are in the final innings on uh, to be a, we call it a, a soulful billion dollar company. We don't want to borrow our way to a billion dollars. We want to be able to wake up in the mirror, look at ourselves uh, and, and what we see, but we're, we've, and we've been on that track. Uh, now for 12 years. So the finish line is next year for that. So that's out there. Long-term, they're looking beyond that. 10 years out, I my legacy goal is for Ona to be an organization that is truly a, a leadership development organization. I, I want HR leaders from any industry to look at an Ona group company on a resume and think, ooh, I want to talk to them because we have such a reputation for developing talent. So next year, in the next 12 months, uh, we've got the first phase of this mission of mastery is what we're calling it. We have the first phase of that rolling out. It's focused on our branch managers becoming business leaders. That's the goal of that framework. And 
we've got to have it locked up by next September for a launch. So that's going to be a big project in the next year if we're talking 12 months. You mentioned legacy and the legacy that you want to be known for is somebody else who's seeing a resume and sees somebody who's been at Onan. You want that hiring manager to be able to say, oh, I have to talk to this person because mm -hmm. I know that they've been developed well during their time here. It's, it's similar to the impact of people that have come out of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, yes. where immediately you know that there's a level of wiring there. Yes. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. So how have you already been building to that legacy during your time here? If you want to go down the road of the, the tour of duty framework, that's been a, a huge piece of that. Things have evolved over year, but we, we have a framework in our organization where every single Onanite is on a three to five year development plan. And it's built on a mutual understanding. We understand when somebody comes in, when we're in the interview process, when we're career planning, we understand what's next for them and where they're headed. And if they don't know that, we help them explore that. And, and then they understand where we're headed as a company and the expectations around how they're there to impact that. And just getting folks, everybody in the organization to think three to five years ahead of where they're headed, where our organization is headed, that we believe that if we're a company full of people heading somewhere, we're going to be a company heading somewhere. So that has been a, that's been a centerpiece. I think we started doing that in 2014. That has been a real centerpiece around, Hey, this is going to be a place where people develop and it's a formality around that development. The, the really interesting aspect about that, and we'll get into more details about it a little bit later, is that I, I haven't quite heard of any other firm, and that doesn't mean that there, this doesn't exist, that, that actually operationalizes it and puts it in writing and builds an actual set of milestones to co-collaborate on career development. That's a really interesting thing that we're going to tackle in a second. What's the most fun aspect about your job? I love it when people get it, man. They see the potential, they see the opportunity here, they see the way senior leadership is rooting for them, they see our resources, they utilize our resources, and they run, and there's so many stories. Our CIO started as a staffing assistant with us 18 years ago. We have an RVP in the Southwest region. He started as a receptionist up in Nashville. Our treasurer was a bilingual recruiter. I was an out-of-work drummer who started in sales. And there are just, there are hundreds of stories like that in our organization. It's just so much fun to see folks thriving and doing things and know where they came from and that incremental progression over the years, yielding massive results for them. That is just, that's a thrill. It's interesting that you mentioned that because that's a little bit of a throwback. You hear about stories of, oh, I started in the mailroom and now I'm CEO. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've seeded the entire organization with stories like that. How likely is it that's going to remain part of your culture as you continue to grow beyond a billion dollars? At some no. point, I don't see how we go beyond a billion without carrying that forward, honestly. I mean, we have a mantra, growth and culture. Growth feeds culture, feeds growth. I don't know. And it, it's not that everybody sticks around. I think we've got about a 70% annual retention rate. The door is open, and if we're a lily pad to something better for somebody in an, another organization, we're with that. That's a win. If, if somebody's been with us three years, and they, they did a great job, and they learned and that set them up for the next their career, we're good with that. And then you talked about shareholder shareholder demands. We, we just announced an ESOP two weeks ago. Our shareholders now have become Onanites. We're taking the win to the next level 
I want to highlight something that you said in terms of your retention rate, because I think it's important to, to note in context of staffing. So you mentioned that roughly in, in your ballparking, your retention is at 70%. That might not register as any big deal to the average person that's listening to our show, but in the context of staffing, and I'm a retention and turnover guy, my, my research study was on why people join and leave organizations. And I did a lot of research within the staffing industry. And generally speaking, when you're talking about internal employees in staffing, a 40, 50% retention rate for internal employees. So if you're at 70, that is a significant step up, especially when you start getting into the details of how much it costs for you to replace a single employee that leaves the organization. I opened the conversation by saying, stop building your people strategy around lies and unrealistic expectations. How does that tie into the game-changing realization that you had when it came to building high-performance teams? Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. Prospective employees, when you come in and you're interviewing, you're like, yeah, I want to retire here. I'm looking for a home. And the reality is you, most employees spend their entire time one foot out the door looking for the next upgrade. And then on the employer side of the desk, we're saying, oh, we're a family here. And then we hand them paperwork that says we can fire you at any time. It's just not good basis for a relationship. And you know, as we scaled out our company, I was growing increasingly frustrated with turnover and lack of engagement at the edges of our organization. Like our core was strong because it was close enough. Our partners here, here Hugh and Keith, they're extremely committed to this win idea. And I am so close to home. It was still happening, but on the edges, it wasn't. And someone gave me Reed Huffman's book, he's the, one of the founders of LinkedIn called The Alliance. And I read that book. It was just right at the right time when I was, my frustration was growing and, and it gave a language and a framework for a lot of the instincts that I had and what I had seen. I had seen that the win with the employee manager, like that's the best relationship, an honest win. And he gives a great fr framework around that. And we adapted this tour of duty framework from his book. We've modified it and made it our own, but that's a fantastic book. Would recommend it to any HR person. We started with honesty about where somebody's headed, where they want to go, what's next for them. What do you want to do when you leave here? People are like, huh? When you open that door, they're actually more apt to stick around and, and be loyal. So that was the revelation. And then that book really solidified that. Wow, this is right. This is, it's a lie. I want to highlight a couple of things. One, you know, you talked about how the impact on culture, how you build a culture. And I'm going to paraphrase it a di differently, but one of the people in my network, Steve Watt, who's the director of marketing at Seismic, he often says culture is defined at the edges of the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So for those who are listening, executives can talk about culture all day long. Your culture shows up at the lowest level of the organization, at the individuals that are closest to your customer. So if you really want to get a view into what kind of culture do you have, watch, observe, and learn from the people that are the furthest away from the C-suite, and then yeah. you'll know what work needs to be done. So I really like how you highlighted that. 
And you actually led into the follow-up that I had. You talk about, we're not going to lie to people or deceive them. And it's got to be a two-way honest conversation. And clear communication or clarity of expectations is critical for building a high-performance team. And you referenced the tour of duty framework. So talk a little bit about how you took that concept of culture being defined at the edges and tied it to how you hire and grow people to come into your organization. It it starts with this mutual understanding. And I I touched on this in the last answer, but a mutual understanding of where do you really want to go with your career? What's next for you? And we explore that, we work through it, and then we talk about where Onan's going and where this branch is going that you're interviewing with and, and how we expect them to contribute to that. And then we, if there's enough of an overlap there between where they're headed and where we're headed, that's a great foundation for a relationship. And then the deal is you help us grow and prosper, we'll help you grow and prosper. And we formalize that in this tour of duty. If we hire a, a recruiter in a light industrial branch, and a lot of times recruiters in a light industrial staffing branch, that's a job you're moving through to something else. It's a very difficult job. And it's a lot of reps and a lot of people and you're dealing with freewheel human beings and they let you down. And it's a, it is a, for many, some people really latch onto it, love it for a long time. But I typically, I think you're going somewhere with this. So we hire somebody with a bachelor's degree in HR and they want to get into corporate recruiting. Okay. Give us 18 months or two years as a recruiter and you're going to learn this and this. And you know what? You can't get that job right now because you don't have experience, but you will have the resume to be able to go get that, that corporate recruiter gig or whatever it is. And the cool thing is because everybody's heading somewhere and the organization is heading somewhere, a lot of times we have opportunity internally and we say, hey, if, you, if your next opportunity is outside, then that's fine. But many times we have the opportunity, we've grown so much, there's opportunity for that next step right there. So we embrace the reality that the lifelong employee model is basically dead, but we also understand we can't have a bunch of uh, free agents in the organization by, by chunking career planning into three to five year segments with tours specific, you know, outcomes tied to it. We're, we're striking the right balance between stability and, and flexibility. I want to dig a little bit deeper. You have a ton of mailroom to boardroom sort of stories within the organization. And what I want to understand is when we take that tour of duty concept, and apply it and operationalize it for, into, let's say, a quarter by quarter or year by year framework. You've mapped this out. How are you equipping your leaders to think of the next role while the person is in the current role and moving through that initial three or five year plan? Got to be a little creative on that. And sometimes there isn't clarity. We call it a rotational tour. A rotational tour is with someone who maybe doesn't have clarity around where they're headed. They don't have a specific skill that's been built up. So a rotational tour is actually a shorter stint where you're experimenting. So I would say if there's no clarity at all, they really don't know, that would be more of a rotational tour. Hey, we're going to have you uh, work as an onsite supervisor for 18 months. Let's see how that goes. See what resonates, what doesn't resonate. Maybe you'd want to try recruiting. Let's put you in recruiting and we look for. So if there's not that sense of progression. We have a uh, a dream sheet actually that we give people when they onboard where we ask them, we literally ask them to, what would you do if money were no option to you? What would you do with your time? What would you want to do? If money were no option and and you couldn't fail, what would you do? We try to just take the lid off 
in the conversation, like, oh, I'd really love to start a food truck or whatever. I'd really want to be a nurse. Or, and if it's not tied to, so how can we, can we come alongside of you to help you put you in a position where in three years, okay, we can expose you. If you're a branch manager, you really want to have your own restaurant. We can, we want branch managers to operate as business managers. Hey, we can show you a lot of mechanics of running a successful business in order to, to work to that. There is a framework around dreaming and there is also an experimentation uh, concept with the, with the rotational tours. What I like most about what you described is that it seems to me that you've embedded the concept of developmental conversations throughout your entire operating rhythm. It yeah. sounds like it's pretty natural that, and, and it sounds cliche, everybody talks about it. you got to find the right person, put them in the right seat, on the right bus, go in the right direction. But that's an ongoing part of what you're describing. And that's uh, if people are looking for operational insight of how you take something that's almost a cliche and put it into action, this is how you do it, where you, that's a normal part of your operating rhythm where you're having these conversations. By Let's, the way, employee reviews, so we still have regular, we don't mandate regular feedback is what we require, but that feedback, whether it's their annual planning or it all references back to, okay, what did we set out to do four years ago? If this is year five or whatever, the original tour is the, the yardstick. We adjust our plan, but we always reference back to what do we start out to do? What were the expectations? What did you want? Uh, so that all feeds back to it as well. If an organization wants to be applying what you're talking about. What are the big red flags that they need to watch out for when they're trying to execute at the level that you're executing currently? Helping management get out of the lifelong employment mindset. They feel like, oh, if I tell people it's okay if they leave, then they're going to leave. Guess what? Like people are leaving all the time. So we got to, got to help them get past that. And the best way to help them get past that is to do the tour with them yourself. So the way we teach someone how to do it is when you start, if somebody reports to me in a senior role, they're new to the organization, the first training they get on this is while well, they read the book and then I do their tour with them. So they're on the receiving end of it and they can feel that. So, but that's tough to get over. And then the other thing is helping people think three to five years out is not, that's not the norm with most folks. Most people are thinking next week, maybe next month. So those are some of the barriers you really have to, it's not a set it and forget it thing. The quality of our tours, we're on a real push right now to, to monitor the quality of our tours and, and, and not in a gotcha way, but Hey, I missed it here on this one, or this isn't, this isn't a, a job description we're putting here. We're dreaming with this person. So doing things like that, you have to constantly go back. And it's not something that managers are going to get good at. And they, they've got to be mentored through it. And we're looking at a new HRIS system where we can tie our learning and development and have everything like their progression and their learning development and their tour and, and trying to tie all that together and have, have more visibility into that across the organization right now, admittedly, it's a little, it's a little piecemeal. It's me going to a branch and what's next for you. When those conversations, we've got the tours housed centrally as well, but there's just not enough transparency. So I would say transparency would be a, it's been a sticking point for us. Like having that is, is important. One of the things that stands out to me when you were describing how, what people should be watching out for. I think if you want to execute at the level that you have, you've mentioned it yourself, your leaders have to be transparent and be honest about, hey, this is the world as it is. Let's approach it together and figure out a plan. But I really like how it ties back to that dream sheet that happens at the onboarding phase 
where you're co-collaborating a career path with the new hire, and then you're building a plan that's three, five years out and, and reviewing it on an ongoing basis. I really like how that's a closed loop. And I think that's where a lot of organizations that want to do this type of stuff can fall over is mm -hmm. that that's great to map all this stuff out. But if you only look at it once or twice a year, you're not going to really do anything or have line of sight in the progress. Jim, we could probably sit here and talk about this stuff for about an hour and a half. I think there's a lot of context and texture that you've brought into the conversation. I appreciate you sharing your insights, but I want you to close the loop here. We talked about a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that people can watch out for, but when you look at, okay, how do you put this into play in the real world? What are the big things that other people leaders need to think about when they're trying to model what's worked for Onan? First thing is whatever we do, We've got to root it in reality. The second thing I would say is performance and culture. Those are not, you don't have one or the other. You actually can have both. You can have an exceptional culture that is a performance culture. So you don't have to give up business performance to have a great culture. I think that's a misconception and it's part of the barrier to, it's part of why we have this dishonest foundation to our employee relationships. Prime, Coach Prime had made this comment about how culture wasn't important. And he says some pretty hyperbolic stuff. But I think what he was saying was we're focused on winning. He has a winning culture. If you want to win and you want to have a great culture, then build a winning, winning culture. And then finally, I would say we need to be clock builders. So we need to build systems and language around these things that we want to reinforce so it can run without us being present, us having our hands. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'm real active on LinkedIn um, and our, more on our company, www.owninggroup.com. And you can find your way to any of our companies from there. I've got a podcast that has been really fun that I host. I'm going to go ahead and plug called Real Leadership. And I don't know if you could put links to the notes, um, but we're on all the major, major platforms. So I'd say message me on LinkedIn though, and we can connect, take it to the, take it to the email front uh, from there. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we appreciate the insights that you brought to the table. When I think about the conversation that we had, there's a couple things that I want to pull out. I think for those who have listened to this conversation, the critical thing that this stood out to me is that when you're trying to build a culture, you have to have line of sight in terms of how that culture shows up at the edges of your organization. Jim and I talked about this earlier in the conversation, but that's the real test. You can say what you want about the culture that you are building and all that sort of stuff within the boardroom, but if it doesn't show up at the line, you don't have a culture. So make sure that you're focused on that. And the interesting thing about that specific point is that we're talking about development. How do you build a people strategy that's built the last? And the interesting things that stood out about this conversation is that you've embedded that tour of duty, that development mindset, that ongoing improvement mindset from the time that somebody's hired. The dream sheet is the execution of that culture. And it's something that's referenced throughout the employee life cycle. And what's interesting about that is for a lot of organizations who want to do this sort of stuff, they talk about it, 
but they never operationalize it. And if they operationalize it, they don't embed it into their day-to-day -day operating rhythm. And that's the secret sauce for building elite teams. So Jim, thanks for hanging out and sharing yeah. your insight with us. For those of you who have listened to this episode, let us know what you thought, give us a rating, and then tune in next time where we'll have another leader coming on the show, teaching us about the game-changing realizations that they had to help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.